welcome is indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day with me, my contributor, none other than Wozniak Lumbre, TYT contributor. Always fascinating to have his analysis. Top story of the day, Nikki Haley says no. It's actually Donald Trump who's in cognitive decline and decides to provide some context for her proclamation. Here's part of it. The former president uh, yesterday endorsed a group of loyalists, including his daughter-in-law, uh, to run the RNC now. Um, the idea reportedly to bring the campaign closer to the party. What do you make of that? He's just trying to control as much as he can control. But we don't want a king in America. That's the problem. They, um, they heard your criticism earlier and they responded. Trump campaign spokesman said, quote, Nikki brain dead, bird brain Haley reeks of desperation as it's clear. She knows she has no shot and is now auditioning for a cable news contract when her 15 minutes are over. It's a weak response. You know we're under the skin because you saw what he did at the rally on Saturday. Over the weekend, Donald Trump questioned the whereabouts of Nikki Haley's husband who's serving a year-long deployment in Africa for the South Carolina Army National Guard. Where's her husband? Oh, he's away. He's away. Where, what happened to her husband? What happened to her husband? Where is he? He's gone. You know, to mock my husband, Michael and I can handle that. But you mock one member of the military, you mock all members of the military. But the reality is he's talked about the military for years now in, in disparaging ways. Suckers, losers, John McCain, gold star families. What's different now? What's different this time? Before, when he did it, it was during the 2016 election. Everybody thought, oh, did he have a slip? What, what did that mean? Lies, madam. You knew good and damn well he had no slip. He reasserted his position, doubled down on the position, tripled down on the position, and decided to echo the position again in multiple interviews. Beyond that, um, I don't think he's losing support because he talked about your hubby. Um, I think it was a great one-liner that you prepared for. You talk about one member of the military, you talk about them all. Now, wait a minute though, hold on. He's been doing this, so what's the difference? As the interviewer pointed out. Also, there is hypocrisy from the Trump campaign. They said in their official response that Nikki Haley is brain dead and bird brain. You cannot coexist. Either she is brain dead or she has a bird brain. It is one or the other. Now, there's something else that's quite ironic that Nikki Haley said that we must highlight for the record. Here it is. The problem now is he is not the same person he was in 2016. He is unhinged. He is more diminished than he than he was. You endorsed him when he ran again. You were a vocal supporter. You were out on the campaign trail. I'm the first one to say I voted for him twice. I was proud to serve America in his administration. But you can go back and look at my book. I cite multiple times, and he knows it, when I called him out for things that he was doing that were wrong. Since I got out of the administration, I have called him out multiple times, which is why he's upset because he thinks I'm disloyal. I'm not loyal to anyone. I don't do that. Yeah. She says, I'm not loyal to anyone. Now, the irony is, 
There was just a story a few weeks ago that she's not loyal to her own husband, which, by the way, there's a sworn affidavit stating that that alleged fact. Let's get into it. Um, presidential candidate Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, turned to the cognitive decline, uh, turned the cognitive decline tables on former President Donald Trump during an interview with today's Craig Melvin, which aired Wednesday morning. Trump recently ridiculed her husband, Michael Haley, or more specifically, his lack of presence on the campaign trail due to being currently deployed overseas as a National Guardsman. Now, I'm going to say this, only Donald Trump can get away with saying, where's the spouse when I'm concerned that his spouse is nowhere to be found. Because where has Donald Trump's wife been? Held, where are his children other than Junior? Do you understand my point here? He's going to get away with proclaiming this against his political opponent when the reality is his own wife has been an absentee spouse on the campaign trail and she's not under deployment. There's more. When Melvin, Asked for her reaction, the former South Carolina governor said, quote, you know, to mock my husband, Michael and I can handle that. But you mock one member of the military, you mock all members of the military, end quote. Haley has addressed this before even going so far as to blame low military recruitment on Trump, her former boss, when she served as UN ambassador under the Trump administration. And this is not the first time that Trump has blasted the military, which Melvin brought up, quote, but the reality is he's talked about the military for years, now in uh, now in disparaging ways, the Today Show anchor noted, suckers, losers, John McCain, gold star families, what's different now? According to Haley, what's different now uh, is that before when he did it, it was during the 2016 election. Everybody thought, oh, did he have a slip up? What? What did, what did that mean? Haley replied before pivoting to the hot button issue of the 2024 election, cognitive decline. The problem now is he is not the same person he was in 2016. He is unhinged. He is more diminished than he ever was. Well, but So why did you support him after 2016? If you believe this, Nikki, you supported him after 2016. And here's the irony of this. You say the America, America doesn't want a king, so you believe he will be a dictator. You also say he's unhinged, which means he cannot be president of the United States effectively. But when you lose the Republican primary, you will endorse Donald Trump as president of the United States. You want him to be president of the United States when you lose the primary. Okay, um, Wozniak, here's the thing. The Trump campaign may be onto something as far as her kind of auditioning, for some kind of news show, cable show, um, or my other theory is uh, she is hoping that he simply gets incarcerated, um, he's indicted, he cannot actually hold the position. But whatever it is, there's no way in the hell she believes she defeats a Donald Trump in a Republican primary that he has clearly dominated and is going to win based on pure um, voter data. What say you? Yeah, I, I can see the cynicism in all of this, right? I think Nikki Haley has clearly made the calculation 
that because she's running against opposing Donald Trump's nomination, um, that she will have no place in his administration going forward. And so there's an obvious opportunity to sort of oppose him now because there's nothing in it for her um, as far as being one of Donald Trump's single fans because she went against him and ran against him in this primary. Um, and I think even the outlet that she's doing this on, um, seeing her on MSNBC, excuse me, on NBC, where it's like, oh, look, I'm a conservative voice, but I'm, you know, I'm more main, I'm more skewed towards the mainstream. I'm less unhinged. I'm more normal conservative voice. I tend to agree with the Trump campaign that this woman is auditioning to be one of those annoying ass, never Trumper Republicans who never lifted a single finger to go up against this dude until they were absolutely shut out of power and shut out of his influence, right? And so uh, I think Nikki Haley is so obviously and so cynically running that exact same playbook that we've seen ran over and over and over again from disaffected Republicans in the past. And you make a great point because we've seen what seemed to be very, let's just say, um, commonsensical Republicans say things that made sense after they decided to resign from politics, after they decided to leave the US Senate, after they decided they no longer wanted to be in politics, all of a sudden they started sounding like Democrats. All right, we'll follow this, give you updates as they come. Florida deputy who shot an unarmed handcuffed man has resigned. Here's the video. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. You try to navigate so that you can make some sense of what you just saw. Put up the picture full mass. This is going to be a hell of a story. Deputy Jesse Hernandez mistakes an acorn for gunfire and fires at an unarmed 
suspect named Marquise Jackson. It all began at about 8.42 a.m. November 12, 2023. This was on McLaren Circle. When the Okaloosa County Sheriff's Office received a call of a vehicle driving around honking its horn. So that's disrupting the peace, according to them. And they say this has been happening since 3 a.m. A woman then called the sheriff's office, accusing Mr. Jackson, 22 years of age, of taking a vehicle and sending threats via text message and phone calls. According to the sheriff's office, Jackson arrived around 9.09 a.m. before he was detained, searched handcuffed and placed in the rear of Deputy Jesse Hernandez's patrol vehicle. The young woman then completed an affidavit for the stolen vehicle. She reportedly told deputies Jackson had a silencer, but she wasn't sure where it was and that he had more than one weapon. When the cop, when Hernandez was returning with the victim's rights form, for the woman, other deputies had communicated they found her vehicle. Hernandez then approached the passenger side rear door of his patrol vehicle to do a secondary search of Jackson when he heard a pop sound, which he thought was a gunshot and believed he had been hit according to the OCSO news release. Per the recently released body cam, Hernandez yelled, quote, shots fired multiple times before falling to the ground, rolling, and began firing at the patrol car. Sergeant Beth Roberts also began just firing into the vehicle. Why? Because somebody else is shooting. Let's all shoot. There's no threat. Let's just start shooting. Started shooting because he also perceived a threat based on the actions of Officer Hernandez. Here's the thing Jackson escaped uninjured. No weapon was located. Um, thankfully, these guys cannot shoot an unmoving target in their own car. Witnesses said they heard what they thought could have been. A muffled gunshot, according to an OCSO news release. Three News 5 reporters listened to the body camera footage. Uh, They did not hear the sound described. They didn't hear a damn thing. Uh, They did all kind of amplification, heard nothing. So what did the deputy hear? Interviewed after the incident by Michael Hogan, an investigator, the deputy said he had definitely heard a suppressed weapon firing. Quote, I felt an impact. On my right side, like a upper torso area, my legs just give out, he claimed. When shown images from his body cam footage of the acorn hitting his car, Mr. Hernandez posed a question, acorn? Mr. Hogan confirmed, acorn, yeah. Question, if he could have mistaken the sound of the acorn 
for gunfire. He answered, quote, what I heard sounded like what I think would be louder than an acorn hitting the roof of a car. Uh, but there's obviously an acorn hitting the roof of the car, end quote. Jackson's statement. In a public Facebook post on the 7th of February, Jackson recalled the day he could have died. A few months later, I hear an officer scream. A few moments later, I hear an officer scream, I'm hit. He's armed, Jackson said in the post. As soon as that was announced, multiple shots were fired at me while I was stuck in the back seat. All I could do was lean over and play dead to prevent getting shot in the head, end quote. Jackson said he was scared to death, and I knew all I could depend on was God. I ignored everything and prayed. Windows were shattering on me the whole time as bullets continued flying across me. He said he was blessed not to get hit by bullets or physically be hurt. Quote, but mentally, I'm not okay. I haven't been the same since. And I don't think this feeling I have will ever change. Deputy Hernandez on the left, all right, on the left, who per the Telegraph served two tours in Afghanistan as an officer but did not see direct combat, had been with the OCSO since January 2022. He resigned on December 4th, 2023, right before the new year. Sergeant Roberts on the right has been with OCSO since May of 2008. Both were current on resistance training and firearms qualification, according to the sheriff's office. The OCSO's office professional standards conducted an internal probe and determined that the use of force was not objectively reasonable and that he in fact violated policy regarding excessive use of control to resistance. The investigation also determined Robert's use of deadly force was objectively reasonable and she was exonerated because according to her, well, I was shooting because he was shooting. And so that's what we're kind of trained to do. We're trained to just shoot when another cop shoots. Put him up, full mass. Buck stops with him. You're talking about the sheriff here, Eric Aiden. All right. Uh, the OCSO's criminal investigation division reviewed the incident after initial investigation for any possible criminal charges. The sheriff's office also reportedly requested an independent review by the first judicial circuit state attorney's office, but ultimately no probable cause. Four criminal charges was found, which is insane, by the way. So the police investigation of their own person says, okay, this guy violated our policy, violated protocol, utilized successful force, and decided to start shooting at a human being. Now, it doesn't matter that he was unsuccessful at killing him. Okay, let's put that aside. It doesn't matter that he was unsuccessful at killing the person because the same action could have caused the death of the individual inside of the police car. You see, if the person would have died, do we then say, okay, well, that's obviously um, at least involuntary manslaughter because of the extreme negligence demonstrated by this officer. You know, negligence can be so extreme that it is determined to be criminal. You do not have to engage in mans rea, which means I'm formulating a thought in order to commit a criminal act. You can simply engage in conduct that is so extremely negligent that you should have known. 
that it could have caused damage to another person or potential death. But the officer is allowed to resign. The officer has no charges. And the insanity of what you just heard is exactly how it happened. Now, Wasney, let me ask you this, brother, because he's in a police car, he's handcuffed, he's handcuffed. What kind of gun is he aiming and shooting after the cop handcuffs him? He then hears the cop say, um, shots fired and I'm hit. Now, it's not just the one, it's the two now. Because now I'm thinking this guy's making up a story in order to kill somebody. And I'm going to tell you why I say that. He doesn't just say shots fired and then later say, I misheard the acorn. He says shots fired, I'm hit, I'm hit. You see, that is justification because cops have a subjective standard. If they can prove that they believe that their frame of mind was that of one in danger. They are able to get away with murder, period. That's what the Supreme Court has ruled. This sounds like a narrative to me, dear brother. And some people may say I'm reaching, but I'm telling you the shots fired and him saying that he got hit, this is insanity to me. What say you? I don't think it's a reach at all. Every single cop in America understands this rule, Dr. Richie. And yeah. so they know they just have to establish just the idea that they thought they were in danger. Not that they have to prove that there was actually a physical threat to their life. They just have to believe it. They could be, they could be processing a momentary of um a psychosis. Right, uh, they can just say, uh, "I believed it," even if it was just an acorn or a penny or whatever it was that this guy thought he was shot. He knows if he can establish the basis, like I thought I was shot, therefore I started shooting everything. He can just work backwards from there. And and I'm sorry, I think this, the department, the sheriff's department, should have to come out and explain point by point, even if this guy's not on trial. They should have to explain to the citizenry, point by point, the logic of what this cop went out there and did and why this is in line with any training that they give to these officers. How do you put somebody on the street who can get it this wrong yeah. and damn near this fatally? And obviously, my heart goes out to the brother who survived this thing because we all know this could have easily went fatal where multiple cops are emptying rounds of clips into the car that you're handcuffed in. Uh, this is just a dereliction of duty, a gross one. And yeah, this, this, is, this is obviously on the level of criminality because no citizen would be able to act this way. No citizen right. could be like, oh, I saw an acorn, and, uh, excuse me, an acorn, sorry, acorn the artist. <laughs> I saw an acorn and I just started shooting indiscriminately. Yeah. Um, is negligence, even if you eliminate the willful intent dynamic. Um, it, you know, we've seen cases where cops have been charged with putting other people in danger. If nothing else, they got the uh, wanton endangerment charge. This guy got none of this, none of it. All right. Hopefully, there's a review by the federal government very soon. All right. Welcome back. Listen, we are celebrating. We're celebrating. Another anniversary, 22nd to be exact. The network is celebrating the 22nd birthday, 22 years of driving positive change. You're invited to join Jenkins and Anna. 
for a special anniversary bonus episode for a full hour. They will share their vision for TYT, celebrating 22 years of courageous coverage. Tune in Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. TYT.com slash live, all right? YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, or on Linear. The bonus episode is usually for members only, but we are making, making it available to everyone on our anniversary day, special for us, special for you. Happy Valentine's Day also to those who celebrate the occasion, all right? And if you don't celebrate the occasion, I still encourage you, celebrate the occasion, you know? Tyler Hackner, Nikki Faley gets no credit for this as she would still pardon him. Yeah, and she'll say something like, it's just good for the country. Yeah. All right, and Casey, I think this is Tyson. I bet he resigned because the other cops were bullying him over the acorn. That is because he regrets his decisions. Yeah. The Jack, thank you so much. Cops are real life chicken little. Yes. Uh, also, uh, he got the vapors. And thank you so much, Stone Flower Dragon. New members because of you. Uh, Matthias Baumi, I think, a Baum, Missy Beasley, Rose Rosie. Michael Gonzalez, Doctor Who Gives a F. And Twitch. Yep. Uh, Jack or Dragon 1991. Put yourself in Melania's shoes. If you're surrounded by a group of men who are willing to sacrifice their lives for your safety, would you be around Trump? Hey. All right. Got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen Wood. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? I feel French. Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. This happened at the Eagles game today. I knew it was coming. He was rude the entire game. The man was a school board guy. He resigned. I got a lot of background information. Um, this is my first time seeing both a human being and chairs that barely move whoop somebody's ass together. They came together for a common cause. Put it up full of bands. According to the outlet, the Times leader, Crestwood School Board, Robert Derwin was identified as the man in the video. Robert Derwin has resigned from the Crestwood School Board, according to a press release from the Crestwood School District. Members of the NAACP were set to attend a special Crestwood Board meeting set for about 6.30 p.m. to protest Derwood's spot on the board over social media post where Derwin called Vice President, excuse me, Derwin called 
uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president, a whore and a black whore. Do you understand? Okay. That this is a separate situation, but still universally connected. You know what I mean? All right. Um, after President Joe Biden and Harris took office in 2021, Derwin repeatedly called Harris a whore and a pig on Facebook and bragged about his temporary bans on platform, on the platform for violating his standards. At least one time during the campaign, he called her a black whore. That was a quote. He says, quote, that's one thing I regret. I should not have included black. No, no, I'm, I'm serious. That's what the man said. I was 100% wrong. If I upset the black community by saying black, I apologize. Duran said Wednesday. Could I have said some things better? No doubt. But I didn't. Some people don't own what they say. I own what I say. End quote. I mean, come on, NAA speech and give this guy an image award. He apologized for using the word black and owned what he said. 100% wrong, he proclaims. Asked about the video. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. These folks, these folks are insane. Asked about the video, okay, that started circulating on social media Wednesday and identify him as an intoxicated man involved in an altercation with a woman. Um, who beat him up, by the way, at the Eagles football game in Philadelphia on Sunday, Durham replied, I haven't seen it, end quote. Um, let's put up the picture for a mask. Is that you, sir? Yes, it is. Have you seen it now? I promise you will after today. Wow. Wasney, the man told the NAACP, I'm sorry I used the word black. <laughs> Thoughts, man, this is insane. Yeah, I, I think this is the least of his worries. Is it's one of those things, Doctor Richie, where I think a lot of times we 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 kind of overblow the things that people might type on their phone and post online, right? And you know, to a certain extent, some of the crazy stuff people say, you know, that they might say on a podcast or on a Twitch stream or on a whatever to get clicks and get an audience. I, I tend to be willing to uh, ignore that kind of stuff. Now, when you escalate this stuff to actual public belligerence and drunkenness and violence, yeah, you got to be dealt with and you need to be dealt with swiftly. And I think you need to be dealt with heavy handedly because you know, it's one thing to say something from your little basement at your crib yeah. with the Budweiser's going. It's another thing to go to a sporting event, kick women, you know, make threats to women. That That's completely and wholly problematic, and it borders on actual criminal conduct, Dr. Richie. And so, yeah, this guy's highly problematic. And the last thing I'll say is I will never complain about sporting events ban on selling booze in the fourth quarter. I, I, I mean, you guys got three right. quarters to get loaded. That's and right. certain people like this gentleman, they don't need the fourth quarter. Yeah. They don't, they don't need those extra butt butt heavies. They they just don't. Yeah, I agree. I concur now after seeing that video.
A man actually gets 40 years for a racially motivated murder, no life term. I'm going to break down the details, put it up for a mass. Hell of a story. In Texas, Christopher Lee Powell, an army veteran who was convicted of murdering a black man in a racially motivated shooting in 2021, was sentenced last week to 40 years in prison, but avoided a life term from the judge, which could actually set him free after serving about half of the time. Powell was found guilty in the murder of 37-year-old San Antonio resident Ibrahim Malik Suarez, who was gunned down during an argument at a gas station in Texas on April 9th, 2021. District Judge Frank J. Castro handed down the sentence on the 7th of February, requiring Powell to serve at least 20 years for the crime before he becomes eligible for parole. Prosecutors said Powell killed Suarez in cold blood after which he called 911 and told the dispatcher, N-word threatened my life. Christopher Powell rolled his window down and shot and killed a man who was walking away. Baxter County DA Joe D. Gonzalez said in a statement, to the San Antonio Express News, quote, the jury told us that Mr. Suarez died needlessly and provided justice for Ibrahim Suarez and his family. Powell, who was white, had been free on bond as the trial played out. But he has led, he was led away in handcuffs following the verdict which the jury returned just three and a half hours. It was no brainer for them. During the trial, jurors were shown surveillance footage of the daily encounter as the two strangers crossed paths inside a Circle K before a heated confrontation at the gas pumps. There, the two men argued for a moment before Powell got in his car, rolled down the window to continue the verbal spat. The video showed as words were exchanged, Suarez still standing outside, flipped his middle finger up as at Powell as he prepared to drive away. Um, Suarez then followed Powell's car out of the parking lot and the beef continued at a traffic light further down the road. The video shows another security camera recorded Suarez as he got out of his car at the intersection along a rural farm road and approached Powell's window before returning to his vehicle. At that point, Powell was shown rolling his window down, prompting Suarez emerge, prompting to emerge again from his car and walk back toward Powell. That's when Powell opened fire three times from the driver's seat, wounding the unarmed man twice in the chest and once in the ear. Powell claimed that he fired a warning shot that struck the man in the ear, but that he kept coming toward him, leading to two more shots that put him on the ground. The victim was rushed to Brook Army Medical Center where doctors were unable to save him. Powell's defense attorney, Albert Gutierrez, argued that Powell suffered from PTSD following combat in Afghanistan, saying he acted in self-defense because he feared that the taller Suarez would kill him. Nope, 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 that only works for cops. Doesn't work for former military. There's more, uh, but prosecutors rejected that argument, saying Powell lied to investigators a number of times about what happened. 
during the trial, Gutierrez introduced toxicology reports showing that Suarez had blood alcohol, had a blood alcohol level that was, that was twice the legal limit in Texas, and that he was also under the influence of meth when he was killed. He also went after the character of the victim, claiming he was a member of the Latin Skulls gang. However, jurors were not swayed in light of the 911 call in which Powell caused the victim a racial slur. Quote, that's what he was concerned about that night. He was scared of the big black man, prosecutor Melissa Russ said. In his closing argument, prosecutor Jordan Brown noted that Powell did not act in self-defense because Suarez never showed intent to pull Christopher Powell or one of his passengers out of the car. That did not happen. So. The defense tried to create this narrative to say, hey, he could have pulled us out of the car. He was going to come here and do all this. No, no, none of that happened, nor was there an indication other than the fantasy that you are promoting to the jury. I want to say this, the prosecutors did a very good job at defining the main thing here and not allowing the very crafty, the very crafty defense. Prosecution did a good job not allowing the crafty defense to paint a picture, a narrative, a fiction, a tale to the jurors, bringing them back to the main point. The main point is, regardless of what you think may have happened, could have happened, would have happened, here's what actually did happen. And this is how we determine how somebody is sentenced, how someone is held accountable. Now, naturally, because of the racial or racist element of this, um, he should not be getting out in 20 years. He shouldn't. This was a call by the judge. All right, Washington thoughts here. Yeah, this is a basically a perfect illustration of why you know all of the guns that we have legally out on the streets here in America are a problem um, for the safety of all of our citizens. Just the idea that a routine altercation can end in this level of bloodshed and death should scare everybody because this is how quickly it turns like not most murders that occur in our country isn't some serial killer isn't some premeditated thing a lot of times it's a lover a lot of times it's just the spur of the moment your neighbor you got into an argument and a lot of times it's just some guy you got into an argument with at a gas station and in that moment uh somebody can decide that your life should end in that instance and and that's to me is the main problem of you know the the level of gun ownership in our country is that just in an instance you know just a routine whatever People getting into altercation, road rage, whatever you want to call it, somebody's life can end for absolutely no reason. And then, you know, the part about the judge showing this guy some level of leniency, you you wonder what the thinking is there, that this guy can clearly demonstrate a level of racial animus. Um, and that clearly was, you know, that that clearly inspired some of the hate and the violence. And and the idea that the judge couldn't understand that this was you know, some of the worst type of crimes that can happen where a guy can just be angry just generally at a quote unquote race of people and then go out and shoot them. It's nuts to really sit here and think about. Yep, but uh, judicial system will often make examples out of an 18 year old who does something stupid and violent, but then go out of their way to cut a break to a grown ass racist man who definitely knows better. We got more on the other side, is indisputable, stick and stay.
Megan Kelly, well, uh, she whines about the black national anthem and the Super Bowl. All right, let's put it up full mass. She's upset. So during the Super Bowl, she tweeted this. The so-called black national anthem does not belong at the Super Bowl. We already have a national anthem and it includes everyone. Well, Megan, I did not know you were black. So we already have one. Can you sing it for us? Can you give me the lyrics? The Super Bowl is a private company, correct? I thought you believed in private corporate rights. I thought corporations were people and they can make these decisions. No, yes, maybe, perhaps. You don't want to debate me, madam. Put it up full mass. All right, unfortunately, she works at Sirius XM along with myself. Days later on her show, she will go on to say, quote, we were subjected to the so-called black national anthem. Lift every voice and see before the actual national anthem. I'm sick of this. It's not necessary to me. Played in this context is divisive. There's one national anthem for all of us, every American. There's no point, actually, a middle finger to the country. And those of us who love each other, irrespective of skin color, to try to divide us by race when we get two anthems at the Super Bowl. Um, Ma'am, you subjected us to this. You know, and by the way, for all you kids watching at home, Santa just is white, but this person is just arguing that that maybe we should we should also have a black Santa. Just because it makes you feel uncomfortable doesn't mean it has to change. You know, I mean, Jesus yeah. was a white man too, but um that's divisive, Megan. We have one white Jesus, I'm sorry, we have no white Jesus actually. Uh, and we have no Santa Claus except for in the mall during Christmas time. Uh, he's a fictional character popularized by Coca-Cola. There's a history of a real St. Nicholas. He's brown, by the way. Damn, Wozni, thoughts? I, I will say this. Obviously, she's being ridiculous. Uh, oftentimes, these Republicans, social um, social justice warriors, or excuse me, culture warriors, race warriors, uh, they're grasping at straws. The idea that you can li- uh, lift every voice and sing is controversial. In, during an NFL game, a 70% black league, during right. Black History Month here <laughs> exactly. in America, Come on, bro. the idea that this is going to be controversial or you know divisive, again, um, just because we're reminding people that black people were once excluded and hated and treated very poorly all over the place, it's ridiculous. But I, I'll sympathize with her point in this one way, Dr. Richie. I watch a lot of NBA basketball and at a lot of events like All-Star Weekend coming up, they're going to do the Canadian National Anthem. Mm-hmm. Why do we need to do this? Why yeah. do we need to go with the old Canada? Yeah. It's not for point. me. 
It's not as that, good as lift every voice. I'm sorry. We, we don't need to need start it. a petition. We need to start a petition. <laughs> we got to end this Canadian national anthem thing. <laughs> A GOP rep says her white daddy was a white slave. Yeah, put her up full mask. Who's she talking to? The NAACP. Let's get into it. Uh, GOP state rep Jennifer Decker, who's seeking to ban diversity programs in Kentucky schools, told a mostly black audience that her father um, has been a slave. She went before the uh, Shelbyville area NAACP a week and a half ago and made the startling claim during a Q&A session when somebody posed if her family had played a role in the slave trade. That's according to the Carrier Journal. Here's what she said, quote, let's keep a picture up because you got to imagine it coming from her. Keep a picture up. My father was born on dirt on a dirt farm in Lincoln County. His mother was the illegitimate daughter of a very prominent person who then was kind enough to allow them to work for him as slaves. So if you're asking, did we own slaves? My father was a slave. Just <laughs> that's, that's how she said it. Uh, just to a white man, and he was a white. Decker's father was a white preacher born sometime around 1933, which was 68 years after the 13th Amendment ended slavery. Um, Colonist Joseph Girth asked Decker to clarify her comments on slavery, but she kept repeating the word irrelevant, which Girth said only confused him more. So he asked whether slavery was irrelevant. Well, it's not irrelevant, Decker said. No, it's not irrelevant what slavery is. But it's shifting the focus from what we're talking about. Girth again asked her to clarify what she meant by claiming her white father had been a slave in the middle of the 20th century. And he said her answer seemed to indicate his family had actually been tenant farmers. Well, my father was born into poverty, she said. There was a very influential man who allowed them property, and then they worked on it. Yeah, that's that's a barter system. They used to do that quite often back then, all right? Uh, Decker said her father's family had not been paid for their labor. And she admitted when pressed that she probably overstated a claim. Was I saying that it was kidnapping? And abuse the same as a slave? No, Decker said. He was a child, his family all worked there. Girth admitted he was left unsatisfied with the lawmaker's explanation. So Decker's father was forced by his parents to do chores. And that was what made him a slave, Girth wrote. I suppose any of us who washed dishes, cut grass, or took out the garbage were slaves, according to Decker's definition. And you know what's happening here. This is an individual trying to dismiss the reality of what actually happened historically in, uh, during the slavery era of America, American history. And so she equivocates, oh, a slave, I mean, my dad was a slave, what's a big deal? Everybody was a slave. Um, and then 
somebody pressed her on that ridiculous notion. And she ends up walking it back and saying she overstated. Wozniak is getting out of control. We, we go from slavery did not exist to America is not a racist country to America never has been a racist country to actually white people were the slaves in America. It's quite absurd. And I think there's a there's a more artful way for white people to do this. For instance, if you were of an Irish background, you can be like, we were the Negroes of the Brits back in the days in Europe. And they treated us badly. They colonized us. They did all these horrible things to us. They subjugated us, whatever. Or, you know, you could take a different route, Dr. Richie, and be like, no, when I said that, my dad was a sex slave. He was... Ah. He was into BDSM. He was like the gimp from Pulp Fiction. He used to frequent those freaky clubs. And we don't kink shame on this show. And she could have oh. clarified, Dr. Richie, that he right. was a different type of slave. Right. Quite different from chattel slavery here in the um in America and in the antebellum South. I'm glad you clarified it for. Her. Don Jr., he couldn't help himself. He couldn't help himself, all right? The racism, the misogyny, uh, decide, he decides to compare our former first lady, all right? Well, let's put it up uh, to a linebacker. That's what he decided to do. Um, let's put up the rookie card or the rookie that he said was in fact Michelle Obama. So Donald Trump Jr. caused an uproar. Uh, this was actually during Super Bowl Sunday when he shared a meme on social media insulting former First Lady Michelle Obama by, by likening her to a retired Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker, uh, LeVon Kirkland. Uh, the meme, which went viral among the MAGA faithful. Now remember, you got conservatives, Republicans, Trump supporters, and MAGA. That's when you have reached a cult status, okay? So the MAGA faithful, uh, features a photo of the 275-pound linebacker in action during the game while taking aim at the former first lady with the caption, quote, I found this rare Michelle Obama rookie card, end quote. And MAGA goes wild. They love this fictional stuff. In the post description, John uh, Don, excuse me, Junior wrote, just a little Super Bowl nostalgia, LOL. Uh, dear fact checkers, I'm told that this was that this is a joke, so please treat it accordingly. Though I personally am not 100% sure, end quote. Uh, the meme was intended to perpetuate the bogus conspiracy theory that falsely suggests Michelle Obama is transgender or was formerly a man. The backlash was swift. Political commentator um, Aaron Rupert immediately called out Trump Jr. for, quote, insane levels of racist misogyny. While a number of voices condemned the eldest son, a former President Donald Trump was showing hatred toward black women. Uh, many people say vicious, disgusting, et cetera. Now, why, why did this happen? Well, they, they have to do this in order to hold the racist people in the political movement known as MAGA close to them. So you will see that if Donald Trump doesn't do something that's really racist for a while, him or his son will put out some red racist meat in order for uh, their supporters to chew on for a minute. Uh, and the irony is, you know, do you want somebody to talk about your mama like that? Hmm. Of course not. All right, Wiseman, thoughts here? It's just so, so old and tired. They've yeah. been running this trope.
forever. Uh, obviously, it's part of their playbook um, to otherize the Obamas. Just the idea that the Obamas is still front of mind, you know, after, you know, they've been gone for eight years is absurd. It just shows the lack of political salience of their actual political messaging. And it's just ridiculous. And the idea that you would compare Michelle Obama to a linebacker is absurd. Everybody knows what you compare her to is a stallion. Because good golly, Lord have mercy, <laughs> Dr. Richie, is she a stallion? Yeah, yeah she's all woman. All right, always, <laughs> always good to have you on the show, dear brother. Tell people how they can follow you. Check out your great work. Love to you guys. Always happy to be on with you guys. Um, check us out at TheRinger.com. Uh, we're recovering sports and pop culture. Uh, check me out all over the TUIT network. And check us out at The Woke Bros, wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, my friend. Peace, y'all. All right. The bullpen is next. We got a doozy. Stick and stay. All right. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. As reported by the defender, according to multiple black women who are running in the March primary, a new Texas law is being weaponized in Houston's judicial races where candidates Takasha Francis, Erica Hughes, and Amber Boyd Cora all overcame efforts to be removed from the ballot by their all white male competition. This goes back to a law. All right, we covered this. We have been on top of it since receiving the information. We have all three of those candidates on the program. Today, let me first introduce you to the Honorable Erica R. Hughes, running for judge. Also, Amber Boyd, Court Esquire, uh, candidate first district court of appeals position nine. Um, and we will be bringing uh, Takasha Francis Esquire in just a moment. Uh, ladies, thank you for being on Indisputable. How are you? Nice. Good afternoon, Dr. Richie. I'm doing well. Thanks. Good to see you again. Good to see you again as well. And here's what I would like to do. Uh, because this is our first time having um, Amber Boy Cora on the show. I, I want you to give us some insight into the plight of what's happening with this particular law, with the application of the law and the genesis of it. Where the hell did it even come from? Well, the genesis of this law, and we've been we've been calling it the Incumbent Protection Act. Um, we believe that this feud from the 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 10 women judges that in 2018 that were able to win um, and therefore to protect the bench further, uh, they decided to create this legislation that changed the application. Um, and so therefore, anyone who is coming to challenge a seat now has to fill in this, these requirements where they state uh, their areas of how long they've practiced and uh, other subjective Responses that are needed in order to be placed on the on the uh, applicate the ballot, and so right now where it stands, it's hurting in many ways because it's protecting the incumbent, and it's diminishing the ability or uh, or diminishing the ability or not allowing the um, not allowing a challenger to 
have the confidence to even try to get on the ballot. So it's discouraging. That, that's yeah. basically what it's doing. So now. I recently uh, completed my JD. I recently finished law school. I don't know the all of the nuances in Texas, but I can tell you in Georgia it's pretty straightforward. Um, you got to have a bar license. Uh, you need to be active, uh, and there's a residency requirement in order to run for a particular position in the judiciary. These things are not very complex to meet the bar, um, so to speak. However, in Texas, this new law says, okay. There are these other prerequisites now that can somewhat be loosely interpreted. For example, if if it requires that you be active as a litigator, well, that can come in many forms. Being active as a litigator does not mean that you are an active trial attorney, etc. Is that correct? That's, That's correct. correct. I think when I ran in 2018 with the Houston 19, the women that ran. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, on the application, we didn't have to answer any of these questions. The application wow. has since changed um, after that. So I don't know if it was as a result of that, but it is a fact that the application is completely different from when I ran the first time mm-hmm. as to when I'm running this time, the change. Judge, we got to talk about that because I remember, I mean, it was such a beautiful picture. Um, I, I talked about it on my radio program. We celebrated it in the state of Georgia. For those who may not be aware, of what you're talking about. Give us some context to that particular election and what happened. So in 2018, we used the hashtag Black Girl Magic, Houston 19. It was the largest amount of African American women that it ran at one time and won an election here in Houston, which is Harris County, where we all are running again. We took a photo, it went viral, and it went national news. And again, in Texas, and anywhere, it's the largest amount of African American female women to win judicial benches. And they were all different benches, ranging from criminal to family to juvenile um, to civil benches. And so the law has changed since we won. Um, and Harris County is a Democratic county uh, for the last few cycles. Texas is a Republican state. Harris County has the largest population in the state. The theory is if Harris County goes blue, then Texas goes blue. Of course, it takes a little more work than that. But I believe that picture, Harris County voting blue, is scaring some people. You celebrated it, we celebrated it, but everybody is not in celebration. Amazing, it's fascinating that that they are even getting away with this. Let me pose this question and, and either one of you can answer. Because typically, um, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, they have, they have their legislative agenda under uh, the dome at the Capitol in Texas during legislative session. And these particular bills are pre-filed. Sometimes they're filed in the midst of the session. But there's a there's an acknowledgement that this could possibly happen. When it was initially filed, I'm talking about these new rules. Did anybody see this coming? Did anybody say, wait a minute, this is going to do A, B, and C in effect? Or did it kind of blindside everyone and, and conservatives kind of got one in? I think the legislature passed this law without really being a boot on the ground. They are mm-hmm. actually the person that has to fill out this application. They maybe didn't intend for it to go to these measures, but I think they wanted to increase the requirements. Because again, when we ran in 2018, after the wins, everyone said, oh, the requirements are not strenuous enough. We want to increase those. 
But that had been the requirements for the last 10 plus years. And until we won, nobody wanted to change the rule. Nobody wanted to move the needle. And so I just think that the anticipation of what would happen after they changed the law uh, was was not there. And, and they just wrote a bill to try to change the rules. Wow. So now you may see at the next legislature, I hope at the next session, that someone changes this or corrects it uh, just to make it uh, clear on its face yeah. and not ambiguous. Because the Texas Supreme Court has been clear in their recent rulings about this law. And, and can you give us that uh, insight? And I'll come right to I just wonder, what, what's the uh, clear cut Texas Supreme Court ruling on this law? Is that democracy should prevail and that if anyone intends to be on the ballot and foul to be on the ballot, they should be allowed on and not uh, such strenuous rules. I think that's my interpretation of the Texas Supreme Court case. Oh, okay. The other attorneys present may have a different one, but that, right. that's how I feel the Supreme Court as right. well. Ms. Boy, Ms. Boycor? Yeah, Doctor, um, one of the things that they've really been honing in on is the fact they're trying to create transparency uh, to educate the voters. And and that's understandable, but there's a big difference in educating the voters and then suppressing someone to apply. And that's mm -hmm. the issue that's really halting our democracy. If you're going to educate the voters, then don't make it where you're trying to basically get someone off the ballot in order to uh, in order to eliminate the competition. And but on the end, I'm glad that the Supreme Court was able to overrule that and and kick that off. Therefore, democracy is moving. We just got to keep it moving and we got to get out there and vote and make sure that these type of issues are not able to get away with. You get what I mean? So, yeah. And, and I've said this before because I've watched politics for so long. I'm the former um, political director and chief strategist of the Democratic Party for the state of Georgia some years back. And we could clearly see, uh, we call them incubator, incubator bills, where uh, they would try this in Texas. They'll try it. In Alabama, they would try it in Florida, try it in Georgia. And if it takes hold, you then see this massive uh, movement to do it in other states the very same way. You all have been successful at bringing enough attention, bringing enough awareness to this that I think you have probably stopped it in its tracks. There's more work to do, but this kind of legislation is harmful to democracy, obviously. I agree with the Supreme Court and the interpretation. Um, Ms. Boyd Corr, I'm going to go to attorney Takasha Francis. But before I do that, let me ask you, what were they saying was the reason that you should not be able to run for judge? Um, my my uh, description of my practice was uh, ambiguous. Um, I didn't specif specify uh, what they said. I didn't clarify if I was board certified. Uh, a lot of things that were very vague. Uh, they mm -hmm. said my my response was vague. Um, I practice construction real estate law, and uh, it's. And it's it, I mean, it's. It's such a wide area that to put it in a little tiny paragraph, uh, I, I just don't understand how that is being vague on what right. I practice. Uh, so that that was the the the, the ultimate um, viewpoint that they were trying to push. Uh, my experience wasn't what they felt or thought was good enough to be on the ballot. That's what I yeah. uh, I got from that. You you give legal advice? Do you give yes, legal I advice? Do. Every that's day. The, that's the practice of law, madam, according to <laughs> the rules. That's the practice of law. All right. 
We appreciate you. Thank you so much. I'm going to bring on attorney uh, Takasha Francis on the other side of the break. I thank you for your continued fight. Obviously, we are with you every step of the way. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Okay, now we have joining Judge Erica R. Hughes is attorney and also candidate for judge of 152nd, 152nd District Court, Mr. Kasha Francis Esquire. Thank you, Ms. Francis, for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Ritchie, for having me. Absolutely. Tell us the plight that they have tried to launch against you in order to uh, allegedly disqualify you from running for judge? Well, picking up from your last segment, the uh, false aspersions that have been uh, given by my opponent is that I'm not eligible to run for judge because based on his subjective opinion, I have not practiced law the last eight years in accordance with the Texas Constitution. Uh, I have served as a director of a city department. For the last eight years, I've been the director of neighborhoods as of last Friday. It was my last day before I resigned to basically pursue this endeavor fully. Uh, I served as one of 23 department directors giving leadership to the city of Houston. And so uh, my opponent is saying that because I've served in that capacity uh, that I have not practiced law. Now, when we fill out our applications based on the new law, we have to identify the work that we have done because that is all that the statute requires is for you to state your practice of law. It is not there to be interpreted. It is not there to be weaponized and it is not there to be used by opponents or other individuals who will cast aspersions on their subjective definition. And as you mentioned before, Dr. Ritchie in Georgia, it's the same way here in Texas under the Texas government code, the practice of law is very liberally defined, not only in case law, but there as well. And under the Texas government code, the practice of law is defined as any action outside of a court that requires legal knowledge or skill, including giving legal guidance, as well as motion practice, appearing before judges. And the reason why this is important is because if anyone who is not a lawyer uh, actually executing these things, they are actually falling under the unauthorized practice of law. So as the director of neighborhoods, I came in and one of the functions of my department was regulatory. I came out of private practice to move into transactional practice. And the American Bar Association did a poll, I believe it was in 2020, where they indicated that only 10% of lawyers actually litigate. So I'm actually in a very elite group of lawyers. The 90% are actually doing transactional work. And so what I find amazing and almost comical in my opponent's argument is that you're a sitting judge. And by your own definition of the practice of law, you don't qualify. Isn't that something? That's the part I want to get to in just a moment. All right. Before I get to that point, I want to open this up a little bit just just to speak in in, in more lamest terms. Sure. Uh, This is such a liberal interpretation. Mm-hmm. That you can simply do something as I would say benign, yes, um, as giving legal advice to members of your family. You are in fact involved in the practice of law by yes. doing something that simple. Am I right? You're absolutely correct. And uh, I think it's very interesting because even right now, we are still in uh, active litigation 
based on his accusations. I think it's important to note that this was filed the first uh, part of January. January 4th, I believe, was when he filed. At this point, there is an affidavit on record from me. There is also an affidavit on record from uh, our 62nd mayor, who was my boss, and I was his direct report, basically affirming the practice of law I did in my official <laughs> role as director wow. of neighborhoods. And there are no witnesses from my opponent's side, no controverting evidence from my opponent's side, and no personal knowledge from my opponent of what I did every day as a director. So not only are we talking about a person who is casting aspersions on my eligibility in the arrogance of his subjective opinion, but this is defamatory because if you're going to say that what I've said is incorrect, then lawsuits that are actually, you know, lawsuits that can be argued and not frivolous have to be supported by evidence. And to this date, he has no evidence, no witnesses, nothing. This is simply a lawsuit that is being used to harass and intimidate and to cast doubt in the minds of voters regarding my qualifications so he can secure another uncontested win. Let me ask you this because my memory is is kind of pushing some things to the forefront. Um, yes. Is this the case where the attorney said to a local reporter, this is not about qualification, this is about eligibility, or was that in another case? No, sir, you, your memory serves you well. That's exactly what his attorney said. And I could not understand his level of confusion in that moment because I don't see the difference. <laughs> right, he doesn't yeah. either. And, and um, I was just going to say, <laughs> right. and that is actually indicative of the, the lawsuit. It doesn't make sense because I think that you know, in his quiet moments, and perhaps even my opponent as well, one of the things as lawyers we have to do is we don't just take cases because people want to or can pay for them. And I think that as we're looking at the women who are running for judges, we want to change the face of the judiciary. Frivolous lawsuits and people that actually file these lawsuits for fun because they have the time and the resources to keep someone in court. That is not what our justice system is for. It is not used to weaponize or basically litigate a campaign as opposed to actually running a campaign. And quite frankly, if we are as ineligible as you say we are, then this should be an easy win. But clearly, we are formidable. And this yeah. is the route that you want to take. And clearly, um, they scared. All right, let me go to Judge Hughes. This is the the irony, and, and I want I want to make sure this is pronounced clearly uh, to the audience. Uh, you were appointed by Attorney General Merrick Garland as a U.S. immigration judge in 2021, and you have all of these other appointments, positions, the service that you have provided to this nation, uh, and this individual is is coming against this, or, or there's this pushback um, as to you simply running for another position. And the the reality is they don't have to say a word about their qualification at all. Explain this to me. And that goes back to the legislature not actually thinking out the bill that was written and how it would affect individuals running and judges. So when we win our election this time, technically, we shouldn't on the next application have to put our qualifications or what we do. But I imagine that by the time we run again for reelection, the rule would have changed again. So yeah. that would be 2028, where we run again for reelection and the rule and the application will change at that point as well. 
Wow, mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing. We're flat out of time. I just want to make sure we have a call to action. What can people in Texas do in order to make sure that there is fairness, that there's an equitable opportunity for democracy to reign supreme as the Texas Supreme Court has said it should? As yeah. you know, you saw the press release you said for NAACP. You see the Texas Black Legislative Caucus there, Representative Jelanda Jones, Representative Ron Green, also in support of this. I think that people, one, need to go vote. Uh, early vote is February 20th to March 1st. Election day is March 5th. Let your voice be heard. Let democracy ring loud and clear from the shores to the voting polls. Make your voice heard. Vote for who should win, who is qualified. And I believe that's women going forward. And so do that. And then talk to your legislature. They need to change this bill. They need to write a new bill uh, to overturn this bill. That's really simple to me. Um, that's what I have to add. And I, I would concur with Judge Hughes. The best way to deal with this, of course, spread this uh, broadcast to all your families and friends to bring attention to what's happening in Harris County. A lot of times we have our head in the sand and people rely on our apathy or not knowing what's happening. So spread this broadcast to get yeah. the word out. Second and most importantly, vote. Vote all the way down ballot. Judges are down ballot. This is not the same as before where you actually had you know, the, uh, the easier way to kind of just check Democrat. No, you've got to go vote all the way down ballot and make sure that you vote. That's the only way that you send a message about what you will put up with and what you won't. Not just in this election, but every election, every time. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Put up the NAACP Houston again. I want to make sure everyone is aware. Um, so on Thursday, February 15th, 4 p.m., NAACP branch headquarters, 2002 Willis Street, Houston, Texas. Uh, they're going to address this. Uh, this is a rally point. I encourage you, make it. If you can make it, be there, all right? This is about your determination as a voter. Damn the politics of it. You may not always agree with the legislative standard of, of progressives or Democrats, left-leaning, et cetera. That doesn't matter. If you say nothing when they're knocking on your neighbor's door, there's nobody there to say something when they're knocking on yours. This is an assault on democracy, which is your determination to elect your leaders, period. Ladies, thank you so much for your continued fight, all right? We appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Dr. Richie. Thank, thank you, you, Dr. Richie. We look forward to talking to you after March 5th. when the Absolutely. When the- with all y'all are judges. Yeah. That's right. All right. Looking <laughs> all forward right. to it as well. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.